Welcome to Work Life Confidential with your host, Ken Dolan Delvecchio. Work Life Confidential gets to the heart of uncomfortable, sometimes taboo topics. Bosses and coworkers behaving badly, other workplace stresses, gender, race, money, and their effect on everything that happens at work and in your life outside of work. Together, we'll find the answers you've been looking for. Now, here is Ken Dolan Delvecchio. Welcome to Work Life Confidential. I'm Ken Dolan Delvecchio. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are talking about addiction at work. And let's start by looking at the even bigger circle of the society that we live in. And the question that I feel like we need to ask is, are we a nation of addicts? A recent study found that 29% of adults in the United States will experience an alcohol abuse disorder at some point in their lives. 10% will experience a disorder involving other substances. And an astonishing 5% of 12 to 15-year-olds meet the criteria for one of these disorders. I should say they met the criteria for one of these disorders in the past 12 months. Other studies show that when we include people who have a behavioral addiction that is not tied to substances, so a gambling addiction or a sex addiction or an internet addiction, that the statistics for the number of people in our society who have one of these problems rises over 50%. So we're going to talk primarily today about how addiction shows up in the world of work and why leaders taking action is so important. I'm going to start out with a quick story, and then I'm going to introduce our guest, who is a brilliant guy who has a senior executive role in a major corporation and has some unique insights on the matter before us. So a few years back, when I was in a consulting role within a corporation, it was not uncommon for this issue of addiction to come up. And of course, it comes up in terms of behaviors that can be categorized as performance and actually have to be looked at in terms of performance within the world of work. So a person may be comes to work and seems fine in the morning, but then comes back late from lunch, is slurring his or her words, is holed up in their office or in their cube, and is not really able to focus when they're approached, maybe have a smell of alcohol about them. We had a situation like this. We had many situations like this, but one in particular stands out. And that involved a man who was probably very late in the addictive progression when it comes to his alcohol abuse. And his boss and his boss's boss, along with the human resources rep, had not one, but probably three or four conversations with me over the course of as many years. And during the last conversation, when I was coaching them and advising how they can approach this and how they can remind him and direct him to the employee assistance program, the medical program, the benefits that will be helpful to him. I told them, if you allow him to keep coming to work 
And behaving in this way, a way that is not productive, that is quite disruptive to other people, you are not helping him. You are not helping him at all by looking the other way or by doing workarounds, the kinds of things that are very typical within the workplace. And in fact, you are helping him to kill himself by letting this disease progress. And I, and I should say that a little bit differently. You are allowing the disease that lives within him to progress, and it can very well be lethal. And unfortunately, about a year or so later, this man died. And this is not this is not an atypical story. This happens way, way, way too much. So we're going to be talking about addiction. We're going to be talking about addressing it hopefully long before it gets to the point where a person is close to losing his or her life. And let me introduce my guest. My guest, Rob Tyndall is vice president and risk officer for corporate functions at Prudential. He's been with Prudential since 1998, and he's had a whole bunch of different executive roles. And let me tell you about some of those roles. He, from 2002 to 2017, he was the risk officer for Prudential Retirement, which is one of the business divisions of the company. From 1998, to 2002, Rob served as vice president of technology in Prudential Investments, another one of Prudential's business units. He spent nearly four years as vice president public readiness, working on Prudential's 2001 initial public offering. And so he's worked in a lot of different areas of Prudential. Some of his time within these different roles have included other responsibilities as well. So he has been the guy who's responsible for strategy and planning, business ethics, and other functions as well. Before he came to Prudential, Rob was a senior manager at Price Waterhouse, where he was serving clients who were in the financial services industry. And he earned his bachelor's degree in economics and biology from Brown University and his MBA from Northeastern University. Rob is a certified public accountant in Massachusetts and a chartered global management accountant and certified information systems auditor. Rob, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ken. So when you hear that kind of story, what are you thinking? What thoughts come to mind? What recollections come to mind? I know you've got, you've got deep experience in this area. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I was fortunate enough um, about eight years ago to uh, get a very direct conversation uh, from my direct manager, who was the head of the retirement business at the time. Um, and it was in the context of a performance discussion uh, where she had indicated to me that um, I, my, you know, w we had a fair number of, of client um, receptions and, and team meetings which involved, you know, going out to eat and having cocktail hours among clients and and colleagues, and um, apparently she noticed and had been told by a, a number of a variety of folks over time. This did not happen quickly; it happened over a number of years. That I tended to uh, perhaps have uh, too much to drink at some of those on some of those occasions, and that impacted my my behavior um, as a result of that. Um, and so, in the context of a performance discussion, she told me. 
uh, that this had been noticed on her part and that it was clearly uh, impacting my performance and my job and that, uh, that in no uncertain terms I needed to address it. She gave me uh, information uh, with regard to employee assistance, and that included uh, y- your number, Ken, since at the time you were head of uh, Prudential's Health and Wellness Program, uh, so you were involved in, in my recovery there, but told me that I needed to deal with this problem. Uh, it was a problem. It was a disease, but I needed to deal with it, or she would have to, uh, she would have to uh, you know, consider terminating my, my employment at that point. Um, which is, you know, a, a very direct way of saying you got to get help uh, or, or you're out of a job. So I, I took her words uh, on their face. I was also uh, at sort of around the same time. Uh, my fiancé at the time well, was, was telling me similar things about my drinking and my behavior. And so I was getting both at home and at work. Um, but but I, I will tell you that um, the direct conversation from my boss, um, which is sort of the subject of today's show, um, w- was very much appreciated by me because look, while it was a very difficult conversation, it was one I needed to hear. It, I needed to hear it from her in, in terms that were very black and white, very concrete, um, and, that, and, and, and as part of it was a solution, which was the company was going to help me um, get assistance from, uh, in terms of rehabilitation and get back you know, into, uh, into a, a mode where I'd be more productive and, and, and in a healthier way. Um, and to me, that took a lot of courage. I think it took a lot of coaching from other resources around the company, including uh, from people like yourself, Ken, um, to sort of, you know, how do you have that conversation in a productive way, a direct way? Um, but at the end of the day, um, knowing that having that conversation, you are actually helping that person. Um, and by ignoring it or by sweeping it under the rug or dealing with it indirectly, as you indicated earlier, you're not helping that person and they will continue likely continue to go down a, a, a very bad path. Well, Rob, you, you said so much that has great value. And I want to thank you, first off, for, again, sharing your own story publicly. That takes a huge amount of courage. And it is a gift to everybody who hears it because it allows for people to look at their own behavior and to realize that there is nothing shameful, there is nothing negative in looking at oneself and recognizing that it would be a good idea to get some help, whether it's with an addiction or when it, with any other life challenge. And so uh, I thank you for your courage. I know this is something that you, that you speak about freely. And for our listeners, I can tell you that Rob has spoken at major conferences. He has been featured in videos that have been used both inside Prudential and externally to help bring awareness to this issue. So many, many thanks to you, Rob. And I want to talk some with you about the the issue that I see uh, so much is that the 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 supervisor just doesn't want to have this conversation just will not go near it and this issue of denial which we know surrounds addiction as a whole is is so very present in the workplace as well and what do you have to say about that both when it comes to your experiences as you were getting the word from from your supervisor, from your fiance, 
And also, as you have worked to help other supervisors to confront this issue in the people who report to them. Yeah, so a, a couple of thoughts on that. So first off, I think most managers, at least that I've discussed this with, um, don't feel like they are equipped to have the conversation. And what I mean by equipped is they don't feel like they um, can say it in terms that are productive, can say it in terms that won't make the uh, employee very uncomfortable, uh, yet actually that's frankly what you need is to make the person feel uncomfortable because it's an uncomfortable place to be, uh, and you need to get uncomfortable before you can get on a path to, you know, on a, on a better path. Um, but that's sort of at the side. But I, I think that managers don't feel like they're equipped to have the conversation. I think it's a taboo topic. I think it's in the category of other behavioral health topic topics um, that are sort of taboo, particularly at work. Um, I think there is a um, perception that you're crossing a line um, that's sort of personal in nature. You're encroaching on someone's personal life um, by, by bringing it up. Yet, ironically, you know, what they're doing at the, in their personal life is impacting their professional life um, by impacting their performance at work. So to me, it's, it's, it's both personal and professional, and I don't know how you can not have the conversation in the context of a performance discussion, but for whatever reason, some people are not comfortable with that or, or feel like there's a line that you can't cross. Um, and, so I, I think, and, and, and so I think that that is the hesitation that people have. Um, some people, uh, I think, also it hits close to home. I, I think there's a lot yeah. of people that either know someone or they themselves suffer from some sort of addiction, um, chemical or otherwise, and so find themselves in a very awkward situation by having to address this with a, an employee um, when they themselves have to face it or either at home or, you know, uh, in their own lives. You know, I think that what you just said about the difficulty approaching this when it is lurking in one's own life or in the life of somebody close to the supervisor, that's really powerful. And I'll bet that is what's operating a lot of the time, a lot of the time. And very important piece to hold on to. And then I agree. I think that that many supervisors just don't have, they don't feel comfortable. They don't have the words. They, they maybe even don't have the relationship. This is one of the things that I've seen that I think often is a big part of the challenge as well, that, that there isn't there isn't the kind of connection that there clearly was between you and your supervisor. It, it seemed that there was a connection between you and her where you felt respected, you felt valued, you felt like she had your best interests at heart, your best interests and your your team's best interests, and was communicating that in a lot of different ways all the time. Am I right in that? Yes, uh, for sure. There um, had to be mutual trust, um, I think, to have an impactful conversation on that front. That, there, there, to your point, there needs to be a good foundation there in the relationship between both the, uh, the manager and the, and the employee. And, and I, I feel like that's it. I feel like it's 
the foundation is absolutely essential before the person who is seeing this happen to one of their team members is going to feel like this has the possibility of going in the right direction. Because even if they do say the words, they have the conversation. If the trust isn't there to begin with, it's so easy for the person who is struggling with addiction to see this as some sort of assault instead of an effort to help. And I, I think that is something that that is in the back of the minds of many supervisors because who wants to approach having a conversation with somebody who perhaps you know you don't have much of a connection to and they might even feel like you don't treat them particularly well or that you don't think much of them. And, and so it's likely to go awry. It's likely not to be received in the spirit that that you offer the commentary. And I, and I have to tell you, and I, I believe I've said this to you before, and I'll let our listeners know that one of the things that, that Rob and his supervisor did was they, together with the communications department at Prudential, they put together a video. And it was a video that very explicitly shows the two of them talking about the issue of Rob's performance and then the ways that his supervisor approached him. And, and in fact, she says, she says that at first she approached him in a rather soft way and then more directly, and as Rob had said before, presented the reality that he had to do something about this. And, and when I see that video, and I wish you could see it, those of you who are listening, I wish you could see it, it is so very evident that there is a foundation of caring and mutual regard between the two people on screen. And, and it is such a useful tool, that video, for just talking about leadership because that, that is so in evidence there, leadership, trust, respect. And, and then you've got Rob who's willing to, who feels so powerfully in his recovery that he wants to share with other people. And then Rob, you're there talking about, about the experience and, and what it meant to you and how it got you on a path to recovery. We're heading into a break. And when we come back, let's talk about the words. Let's talk about how one can speak what needs to be said to a person who reports to you to hopefully move them toward getting the help that will that will open the possibility of them starting their recovery. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a few minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Maybe you're putting together an event and need a keynote speaker who makes it comfortable to talk about the most challenging subjects, mental health, race, gender, and workplace violence among them. 
a speaker who can give detailed how-to guidance based on decades of experience as a corporate executive, human resources professional, and psychotherapist. Or maybe you find yourself getting ready for an important presentation, meeting, or conversation and wish you had an expert advisor to help you prepare. A professional who will help you script what you'll say and plan for what comes next. Ken Dolan Del Vecchio is available to speak at your event on workplace or relationship subjects. He's also a trusted advisor, consultant, and coach to business leaders and others. Visit GreenGateLeadership.com to learn more and get in touch. That's GreenGateLeadership.com. As a business professional, you know there is no greater challenge than keeping the people around you focused, engaged, and productive. We all have situations in our lives that rob us of our most important resource, attention. The key to dealing with the distractions and still being our best is resilience. We can't always avoid challenging situations, but we can make sure we bounce back. FEI, the workforce resilience expert, is the leader in helping your workforce be their best selves. We have a range of services to strengthen well-being, enhance culture, empower safety, and manage crisis. From the most personal problems to crises on a global scale, our experience can help you meet any challenge. If you're working to keep your workforce focused, engaged, and productive, contact FEI Workforce Resilience at 1-800-987-1948 or visit feinet.com. FEI the workforce resilience experts become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america you are listening to work life confidential it's time to hear your voice call into our program today at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Ken at greengateleadership.com. Now, back to Work Life Confidential. Here again is Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. Welcome back. We're talking with Rob Tyndall, who is a senior executive and risk officer for corporate functions at Prudential Financial. And we're talking about addiction in the workplace. And and Rob made a, a very important point while we were chatting during the break, and that is that whatever word the supervisor uses, whatever language, it's likely to to strike the person who is living with this disease as though it's coming right out of the blue because they are likely to be under the illusion that they have not been noted, that their illness has not been noticed at all, that they've got people fooled. So Rob, maybe talk a little bit about that and the, and the fact that, that it really isn't fooling people, that not only the supervisor's noticing, but probably everybody who has any sort of close working relationship with the individual is probably catching wind of it too. Well, that's exactly right. So, so in in my case, uh, when my uh, my manager came to me with with this conversation, it was clearly at the uh, a culmination of feedback that she'd been getting from a variety of sources, uh, colleagues, um, clients, you know, all sorts of people that had been around me had observed this and had reached a point where they felt like they needed to say something to her. Um, so, I I think you know when she said it 
when she had the conversation with me, it was not simply her own observations, but it was her own observations coupled with uh, feedback from others. And, and that had a um, particularly, uh, I guess, uh, initial blow to me as the, the person with the, the, you know, the alcoholic, uh, I can say that, um, which was I thought I had most people fooled. I, had, you know, I, I took a lot of time and spent a lot of energy hiding it um, and, and not drinking in front of people um, for you know, giving the impression that I had it under control when I clearly did not, but was shocked to see that, in fact, my secret was not a secret and that my behavior was uh, apparent to, uh, to most people. And that's sort of one of the first things that you know, an addict discovers is that their, their secret's really no secret um, and, and, and to people around them. Um, the, the, I had a recent conversation with someone who used to uh, report to me directly uh, on this topic, and she recounted for me back from before I um, stopped drinking that it was very difficult for her and for other um, of my direct reports because they didn't have the authority to sort of come to me with a very direct conversation because they were subordinate to me in the organization. They reported to me, and so having this type of sort of performance discussion uh, was not uh, something that was readily available to them. Um, and so she said it was particularly awkward um, to sort of hear feedback from other people in the organization um, about my behavior and not really have anything to do with it uh, or, or not have a channel to, to address it to me. Uh, I know she and I talk about it now after the fact, um, which is great. Um, but it, I, I do, I, you know, I've learned that I put uh, lots of people in awkward uh, positions um, that I really didn't realize at the time and have, you know, years later discovered it through conversations like I just described. Well, this is this is another important point to explore because nothing in the workplace takes place in a vacuum. Everything is happening within a, a web of workplace relationships. And one of the things I think it's really important for supervisors to note, whether the performance issue that they need to confront and they need to offer support and guidance and perhaps limit setting to their employee who's struggling with is that the behavior that that employee is demonstrating is making an impact. It is likely being disruptive in one way or another. It is either causing concern or it is making people who are who are around the individual with the performance difficulty feel frightened it can sometimes make them feel like this person is getting away with something and therefore is being treated with a degree of favoritism it can make them feel like they are not particularly they don't need to be particularly responsible if this person is coming in late or leaving surreptitiously. They might feel like, well, if that person can, quote unquote, get away with it, then why don't I try it as well? There's all kinds of ripples that happen whenever an individual is struggling with a performance difficulty of any significance. And I have talked to many leaders who, to whom it seems to be news that this is reflecting on them, that this is making an impression that they are not an effective leader, that they, they are not helping the team to be a team, 
to be coordinated, to work with each other, to to respond and interact with each other respectfully and collaboratively, that they have abandoned that authority. And so it's very important for leaders to know that if a person is struggling with an addiction problem, that you are you are looking bad if you let it go on and on and on. And sometimes I've found that that news is the lever, the lever that helps the supervisor say, okay, I'll, I'll take action. Because they either are, have been afraid to or they've been looking at their inaction as a kindness. And it's not, it's not a kindness. It is, as I said in the beginning, it is an allowance for a person to deteriorate further and p- perhaps even get into a, a state of being that is life-threatening. I'll tell a story that's analogous, and 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 this might shed some light on on what happens when a person is struggling with an addiction as well. So, my team was called in to consult because there was an employee who had not gotten to work that day, and it was it was interesting at first because we were wondering. Why would we be called in because somebody hadn't come in? Maybe they had had some kind of emergency and and it, it just it, it seemed it seemed strange until we learned that this employee had been coming to work later and later and later for quite a period of time and in fact was coming to work and was so disorganized in their thinking that they couldn't do their work, they couldn't function. And this had been going on for months, for months. And the individual's boss had taken over their responsibilities, had de facto, but not making it clear through an organizational change, had the people who were reporting to this individual who was missing now reporting to this upper level supervisor, not confronting the behavior at all. And when we got involved and we, we got in touch with the, the gentleman and his family, it was clear that he was in an advanced state of organic brain syndrome. So this was a, a person who was moving toward an Alzheimer's diagnosis. And I don't remember the actual specific, the specific problem but it was somewhere along the spectrum of organic brain problems. And all we could, we could think about in the health and wellness department was how, how unfortunate it was that this hadn't been addressed earlier. Because if it had been addressed as a performance issue earlier and this person had been referred for assistance, reminded of the health and wellness supports that are available, held accountable, for their performance problems, it's very likely that they would have gotten assessed and treated and gotten on medication that very well might have slowed the progression of their deterioration and brain function. So addiction is some can be similar where if a person is held accountable, they're they're likely going to take that seriously. We know that when a person has an addiction problem, it will, by definition, it will be showing up in 
different life spheres. So it will be showing up in relationships that are important to them. So Rupp talked about his relationship with his fiance. It was showing up there. It will be showing up at work in terms of performance difficulties. It will sometimes quite frequently be showing up in legal difficulties. So a uh, driving while intoxicated charge or some other legal problem. And, and so and it will also often show up in some kind of health sphere. So maybe with stomach problems or some other physiological problem that's related to the addiction. We know that when it's confronted at work, that is one of the places that is most likely to be able to help the person see it and begin to get help. It's important for it to be confronted, for the illness to be confronted for the person who is living with it. All of those different, in all of those different places, so important relationships and by one's medical treatment provider. But if it, if the person is confronted at work, a lot of times that's where they'll say, okay, I don't want to lose my job. I want to be successful. This is really important to me. So I'm going to follow through and get help. So one, Rob, one thing, Ken, that uh, I'd like to mm-hmm. just jump in on yep. another ingredient that we need here to have these conversations is the culture in the in the corporate environment. So, so I, you know, when when I went to rehab um, that Prudential had sponsored and referred me to, it was a very supportive process. I felt, um, mm-hmm. and they truly wanted me to get better, um, and showed it and put their money where their mouth was through benefits and health programs, et cetera. But it, but it's interesting. And at the same time, my my father, who spent you know most of his corporate career working for a large corporation in the fifties and sixties, um, he said, "Well, boy, back in my day, they would have just fired you." Um, so it's terrific that Prudential has this attitude about uh, your situation and wanting to help you and get better. Um, but but so so time, um, you know, the the, the air, we're in a different era now, obviously, hopefully, um, around mental illness and behavioral health issues. Um, but also the corporate culture um, that you're in will play into not only the receptivity of the employee to hearing the feedback, but also the willingness of the manager to have the conversation, knowing that there's a support network within the company um, that will support both the employee and the manager in the process. I'm glad you you point that out. So much comes down to culture. So much of what is possible for employees and for the organization, it comes down to whether or not you've got a culture that understands human beings, that is valuing of human beings, and understands that we are all in dynamic states of health. We are sometimes at our optimal and we're doing absolutely wonderfully, and other times we are in need of assistance. And we were talking last week about mental health conditions in general, and and talking about how we're all on that continuum. We're someplace on this on this dynamic continuum. And for example, I, I live with with cyclothymia, which is a mood issue. And and I I mentioned last week that I would say to my boss when he would challenge me some days, sort of jokingly, Why are you leaving early? I'd say I'm going to therapy and you want me to go to my therapist. <laughs> and there is there's there was no nothing negative in that. 
it's understood that we need to take care of ourselves, whether it's an addiction or it's a, another mental health condition, if you will, or if it's migraines or if it's diabetes or whatever, or, or heart problems, we need and deserve to take care of ourselves. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the details, the kinds of things that that your boss said to you that helped you see, you know, I I got to take this seriously. I got to do something. I got to follow through with the assist the assistance that's being recommended. Do you recall some of the the content of what she said? I do. Um, I'll I'll never forget some of it. Um, first off, she she mentioned the reputation of the company. You know, we're we're at client uh, functions here. These are people that you know pay us a lot of money to provide services and that trust us with their with their assets and you're representing Prudential in, in some of these environments and I can't have you um, you know impairing our credibility or our reputation with our clients because of your your behavior and your your issues um, so that was you know obviously issue number one issue number two was around my own leadership and how she knew I wanted to be and so she sort of um, went to a point where she, you know, she knew me well. I'd worked with her for, you know, a uh, better part of a decade. And so she, she said, I, I know how you want to lead, and I know that how you're behaving is not how you would want to see yourself lead and would not, uh, is not how you want to present yourself to other people uh, within the company. And so uh, I think it's impacting your own credibility. It's also impacting, as you just indicated earlier, Ken, it's impacting my credibility as your manager and as the leader of this business and you're a senior leader um, in this business, and so I can't have that behavior um, and be successful at the same time. So I need you to go address it. That's, that's great. And, and I, I, I love the way she, she, in doing that, is giving examples of the ways that support and accountability are tied together. That, that you can be very direct, you can be very clearly telling a person what they're doing that needs to change. At the same time, you are telling them that you believe in them and that you are, you are saying this to them because you want to call them to their highest potential. You know what they're capable of. You highly value them. That's something that I think many people find challenging. Like, how do you tell somebody something that is really important, that is a problem, at the same time as you tell them, I think you can, you can turn this around? And even telling them that this is such a problem that if you don't turn it around, you, you are very likely going to lose your employment. And doing all of that in a way that conveys respect, concern, human caring, even one might say love, that we can show that degree of concern and caring for another person. At the same time as we can say, if you, if you can't do this, we are in fact going to have to part ways. And I think that this is so closely bound to the culture that is made by that supervisor, is embodied by that supervisor. And just to give some very specific and concrete 
language. It's important to watch what the person has done as though you are taking note of the videotape that might be made if it were if they were being videotaped and then be able to replay that in the way you describe it for them when we were at the meeting with these particular clients you you nodded off during dinner and that happened after you had had whatever number of beers or glasses of wine that you had and people were looking at you and the person next to you needed to nudge you. And then when you, when you opened your eyes, you, after you started speaking, you seemed a little slow. And in fact, your words were a bit slurred. And it gave the impression that you had had too much to drink and that this has happened before, I'll tell you another time. Or that you came to work after lunch and we had an important meeting and you showed up and your papers were in disarray and you you were slurring your words and we had to remind you of the agenda and get you back on track when you were supposed to be leading the meeting and it made a very strange impression on those around you talk a little bit about the impact what you saw other people were looking at you with concern some people were beginning to snicker and covered their face so that that wouldn't be too evident uh, you 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 lead through the specifics that you see and say this has got to change this has got to change and then you remind the individual of the resources that are available and say, look, I'm not a diagnostician, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a counselor, but this has to change. I have to see you paying attention. I have to see you staying alert and focused during events and having conversations with the people present that show that you are listening and and that has got to happen and I will tell you that you can use your EAP benefit and here's how you would do that and you describe how one would get in touch. Now in some companies you can actually mandate it but in many companies you can't. So we're going to go to break and we'll be back in just a couple minutes and we'll wrap up our conversation with some closing thoughts. Stay with us. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. As a business professional, you know there is no greater challenge than keeping the people around you focused, engaged, and productive. We all have situations in our lives that rob us of our most important resource, attention. The key to dealing with the distractions and still being our best is resilience. We can't always avoid challenging situations, but we can make sure we bounce back. FEI. The Workforce Resilience Expert is the leader in helping your workforce be their best selves. We have a range of services to strengthen well-being, enhance culture, empower safety, and manage crisis. From the most personal problems to crises on a global scale, our experience can help you meet any challenge. If you're working to keep your workforce focused, engaged, and productive, contact FEI Workforce Resilience at one 800 987 1948 or visit feinet 
FEI.com. F-E-I, the workforce resilience experts. Maybe you're putting together an event and need a keynote speaker who makes it comfortable to talk about the most challenging subjects, mental health, race, gender, and workplace violence among them. A speaker who can give detailed how-to guidance based on decades of experience as a corporate executive, human resources professional, and psychotherapist. Or maybe you find yourself getting ready for an important presentation, meeting, or conversation and wish you had an expert advisor to help you prepare. A professional who will help you script what you'll say and plan for what comes next. Ken Dolan Del Vecchio is available to speak at your event on workplace or relationship subjects. He's also a trusted advisor, consultant, and coach to business leaders and others. Visit GreenGateLeadership.com to learn more and get in touch. That's GreenGateLeadership.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Work Life Confidential. It's time to hear your voice. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Ken at GreenGateLeadership.com. Now, back to Work Life Confidential. Here again is Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. Welcome back. We're talking with Rob Tyndall, who is Vice President and Risk Officer for Corporate Functions at Prudential, and we are talking about addiction in the workplace. And Rob, you have been entirely open. You've been sharing your story for a number of years at Prudential and externally as well. What are you seeing in response to that? What have what have you seen in terms of reactions and and perhaps people gaining a lot from it what what have you what have you gathered so i've i've uh i've i've, I've seen the gamut so i've seen um a, a number of of my peers at the time um this is going back about seven or eight years um who, who approached me you know, very positively saying that's great you did that and that shows a lot of courage thanks for talking about that in such a broad way it's such a great example uh, I think my boss, who had done the video with me, probably got a lot more kudos than that just for her courage in having the conversation with me. I think it sent a great message about Prudential's leadership and, and culture. Um, uh, you know, I, I did have a couple of uh, interesting colleagues sort of look at me funny saying, I, I can't imagine why you put yourself out there like that. Um, you know, did you consider the risk to your career, et cetera? And I sort, of, uh, I sort of laughed at that and just said, well, this is my way of, of giving back. This is part of my recovery, frankly. And if, if my story and, and my talking about it openly helps somebody else, then mission accomplished from my perspective. And I don't see how that could hurt my career. Any, you know, the, 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 the sort of career damage is done, frankly, with the drinking part. Um, the, the recovery part should only be, only be upside. Um, one story in particular, I was once riding in an elevator um, in the in the building and with a, one other person in the elevator with me, and he just turned to me. It was just the two of us, and he 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 just said, I, "I wanted to say thank you." And this was probably two or three years after the video had been played for all of the Prudential Associates. And I said, uh, "Okay, you're welcome for what?" And he said, "For for talking about your your situation for doing the video." And I said, "Well, that was a number of years ago, but you're, you're welcome." And he said, "Well, I just celebrated two years of sobriety because I saw your video and I went and got help, and and it gave me the courage or." The, uh, gave me the understanding to know that I could, you know, also have a, 
a, a good outcome from it. And so that actually absolutely made my made my month that month, uh, just knowing that I, I did have an impact, and that's why I'm frankly doing this. So I hope that answers your question. It does. And if you were, and in fact, I'm going to ask you, if you were to leave the listeners with just one thought, maybe one recommendation for what they might take away from this conversation. What is that? Um, I think, uh, you know, direct conversations, while difficult, are the best approach for dealing with a, a tough situation, um, particularly around addiction, that the person needs to hear the cold, hard facts. They need to, ho- uh, need to see that there's options in front of them. Frequently, I think in my experience anyway, um, when you're sort of down and out, maybe at your bottom, you don't see any other options but to continue to, to drink or to drug or whatever happens to be your, your thing. Um, and so when you can see that there are options and you can see that there's a, um, you know, somebody that cares about you that maybe can either, either understand your problem or can at least empathize with your problem, because not everyone can understand it, but at least can empathize it and show caring and that's someone you work with, because by the way, most of us spend a lot of time at work, um, right. that that is a, uh, that's more impactful probably than you even know as the person delivering that message. That's great. Go, go into the places of conflict. Go into the places of conflict. It doesn't mean that something bad is going to happen. You're going to learn something, and you're probably going to feel even more connected to the person who you go there with provided that you do it with civility and caring. And so, Rob, I want to thank you so much. I will take the opportunity to thank you once again for the immense courage that you display every time you open yourself up this way and share. I know that this will touch others in the way that it touched that gentleman who who spoke with you in the elevator that day. This kind of sharing is, is the kind of thing that has a broad reach And I I think it's an amazing gift that you give. So thank you so much. And it has been such a pleasure speaking with you, the listener, during these last several months. I say this almost every show. I'll say it this closing show as well. Fred Rogers said, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. And I think those are words to live by. Together, We have gone into some places that too frequently are shrouded in silence. And we've talked about some stuff that too frequently goes unsaid. And I appreciate you going there with me. I hope that these conversations have inspired you to have conversations of your own about the things that are important that we can talk about and we can get actually through talking about them greater closeness rather than the distance that we too frequently fear. I think that there's too much that goes unsaid that keeps us apart from one another. In the near future, please look for my new video podcast. My new program is now in development with my friend, colleague, and soon-to-be co-host, Shira Block. Shira is an author, she's a lecturer and a life coach, and you can learn more about her at www.shirablock.com, and that is spelled S-H-I-R-A. 
A, B as in boy, L-O-C-K, shirablock.com. Shira and I met at the WWLP-TV studios here in Massachusetts. We both appear on this station's show that's called Mass Appeal. WWLP-TV is an NBC TV affiliate that is local for both of us, and we appear once a month as on-air experts talking about different aspects of work and and the work that take the life that takes place at work, and also family issues, all kinds of different things. And those those are the kinds of topics that that we talk about together. And we are we are putting this video podcast together that will feature conversations on topics like the ones that we've been talking about here on Work-Life Confidential. So for example, one of our first topics is going to be about why it's a good idea to talk about religion and politics, why we shouldn't avoid talking about these subjects, but we should go there and talk with one another openly, of course, in a kind and civil way. Between now and the time that show premieres, I'd love to hear from you. So please stay in touch with me through my website, which is www.greengateleadership, again, greengateleadership.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn or on Facebook. You can also email me at Ken at greengateleadership, one word, dot com. And as always, I am Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. You have been listening to Work Life Confidential. I'd like to thank our sponsor for this program, FEI Behavioral Health. And in particular, FEI's Chief Executive Officer, Ted Uxen. Ted is a friend and has been a great supporter of this program. Ted, thanks so much for your support. And as always, I'd like to thank our executive producer, Randall Libero, and our engineer, Josh. And thank you so much for being with us and sharing in these conversations. Be well. Thank you for listening to Work Life Confidential with Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. We hope you've taken a bit of wisdom from today's program that will help you at work and home. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have an outstanding week.